So we are halfway through the retreat. It's going pretty fast and yet pretty slowly at the same time, right? It's interesting. Um, especially interesting with, with shorter retreats. It feels like everything gets accelerated. That's what my experience has been, um, both as a teacher and also having sat short retreats, it feels like the mind settles more quickly. It's like, okay, the mind knows. I've got a little time. Okay, this is, this is it. This is it. You have seven days. Like, okay, I've got time to settle. Or if you have a month-long retreat, oh, I've got time to settle. So just things, the mind and heart know. So, and it's lovely to be, to have been sitting with uh, you in practice discussions with a quarter of you, for me and a quarter of you today. Diana, it's lovely to, to see you, support you in your practice, and really feel your wholeheartedness. And you don't have to be perfect in this practice. You don't have to be perfect. You really don't have to be perfect. Keep a light touch. Wholeheartedness is, is as good. It's really as good. Wholeheartedness. Just wholeheartedness. Bringing your whole heart, your intentionality, and your humility, and humility takes us very far on this path of awakening freedom. I loved that Diana brought in awakening freedom into her talk yesterday. Yes, absolutely. This is about freedom, about awakening. Another word we use for awakening, for nibbana, nirvana, is, is freedom, ease. And to have humility, really, to have humility about all this. And, you know, sometimes this, what we call in, um, in Buddhism, that the, the Pali term is mana, is conceit. There's a sense of conceit, I am, which can also be sensed for us practitioners as I'm better than, I've got this, I'm beyond this, or I'm worse than. Everybody's got this. I'm the only one who can do this. So whether you have better than like, or, or worse than, it's, it's not helpful. It's neither is helpful. And I want to say just a little bit about those two. Um, so the conceit of better than, like, ah, I've got this. Just, ah, this is, it's simple, especially if you're new to practice. There's this, I just learned this recently, and um, it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Have you guys heard about this before? Anyone? Dunning-Kruger effect? Yeah. Dunning-Kruger effect. Love it. Um, so Dunning-Kruger effect is a cognitive bias in which people with limited ability, limited competence of something that they were just new in, in a particular domain, they overestimate their ability. So they have actually studies, it's pretty fascinating. When you're new, your confidence, they have terms for it. You, when you're new, it's like, oh, this is easy, I've got this, this is no, just I'm beyond this. Like, oh, um, what are these people doing years and years practicing this meta thing? It's like, I've got this in five minutes. So, so they, they have, um, the researchers have studies, they have, um, uh, so when, uh, the top of the, that, it's called, um, should have written it down, the peak of overcon... What was it? The peak of ignorance. I think that's it. It's the peak of mountain of ignorance. Such a great Buddhist <laughs> word, right? Ignorance. 
And then after that, if, the, if you stay with something, then apparently what happens after that, according to researchers who study this, is you get into the valley of despair. Like, this is so hard, I'll never get this. This is so challenging. And then, and then you continue to practice, and then, of course, your confidence starts to build, given your capacity. And then you know there's a humility. You know how much you don't know. And you keep cultivating and practicing and keeps opening up. So wherever you might be in that, have, have kindness for, for your cognitive bias. And cognitive bias is another word for delusion. Right? It's for delusion. What we call in Buddhism delusion or confusion or not knowing, but it's really cognitive bias. I've given a whole Dharma talk about equating cognitive bias. There's so many cognitive biases that cognitive psychologists have studied. Basic delusion is how we get confused. Like we don't see things clearly. Right? We don't see things clearly. We see things through a particular bias, a cognitive bias. And guess what? That's what we call Delusion, or moha in Pali, it's delusion. We don't see things clearly. So, so wherever you might be in that graph, in that uh, uh, graph, please have kindness, kindness and gentleness for your mind. It's, it keeps opening up. It keeps opening up, and, and then the graph, of course, as we know as human beings, as, as you continue to practice something, whether it's an instrument, it's a piano, or your mind, it keeps opening up, opening up. You, you keep learning and cultivating. It still continues to open up for me. It still continues to deepen and open in ways that are just beautiful and take my breath away. Um, and it's wonderful, right? It would be terrible to feel done, like I'm done, like I've got this. Like, no, the sense of joy to keep discovering, to keep learning, to keep opening up, to keep being humble, be an earthworm. Be an earthworm, humility. Be an earthworm. This is what um, Ajahn Suchito, a well-respected um, Thai forest master, um, is one of one of the talks he gives. Be an earthworm. With that level of humility, be an earthworm. Just practice, practice. And also, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be on the other end of it when you're feeling like, oh, I can't do this. And I love this line from W.H. Auden's poem. You shall love your crooked neighbor with your crooked heart. Mm-hmm. We are not perfect. Our hearts are crooked. They're doing the best they can. and They're as they are. They're messy. And our neighbors are messy, too. Can we, are, can we love our crooked neighbor with our crooked heart? both a sense of humility and also at the same time, I know this might seem like dichotomies, but they aren't sense of humility and also a sense of confidence so yes, of course there's a lot of dichotomies perhaps but the sense of confidence is that this practice works this practice works and it keeps transforming us and shifting us and changing us. And as Diana mentioned in her talk, you can borrow trust from our experience if you don't have it yet. And many of you have trust in your own experience. You've, you've been practicing, 
this for many, many years. I know that folks who have been practicing during happy hour, which is this online, um, uh, on Zoom, weekly, weeknight, every weeknight, Diana has been teaching it for now three and some years. There are transformations from practicing in this way that many people have reported. And I've seen so many practitioners over the years, so many practitioners over the years, um, when they feel like nothing is happening, I'm just doing this practice. Yeah, you say I'm planting seeds. Okay, I'm going to plant seeds. And then they report back, wow, let me tell you what just happened at work. This person said this thing, and usually I would have been angry, and I would have been shouting, and, or really, um, not shouting necessarily, but, but like um, ruminating or resentful. But actually, wow, I, I responded so differently than I usually do. I've had so many people report so many stories. So many stories. I know once, for me, years ago, there was this situation where um, it was a challenging situation with someone and they're being very, um, yeah, blaming and just very resentful, very complicated story. And, and I, f I found that after sitting with what was happening, I just surprised myself. Like, wow, really? I'm behaving with such generosity towards this person? Like, completely, like, really? And it wasn't in a sense of, you know, this compassion or these practices don't make you weak in a way of, oh, I'll be so weak, people will walk all over me. It doesn't work that way. But there's a sense of generosity or, or bigness of heart. Your heart becomes, it, it becomes bigger than you realize this being that is you has capacity to do, has capacity to behave that way. And it's wonderful to be surprised in that way, right? To, to discover the capacities we, don't, we didn't know we had. We're still discovering who this being is and the capacities, the heart of this person. I don't want to say me because it feels so selfish and in some ways so personal, and it's not personal. In many ways, these beautiful practices, the way we can be generous, we can kind, we can be kind, we can be loving, um, it can astound us how supportive, kind, caring we can be to ourselves and to others, the capacity of our hearts. We underestimate ourselves. So let's have humility. Let's have humility. But how this being who is me can be in the world. So continuing with <coughs> the attitudes. <coughs> continuing, continuing with the ad attitudes. Um, metta. I'll, I'll say some things you may already know, but just so that we are clear. Cultivation of metta, cultivation of these practices of, of goodwill, of kindness. It's when we do this practice and we say the phrases, it's not magical thinking. It's not magical thinking that, oh, if I just wish this person well and happy and healthy, they're going to be that way. And they call them right after the retreat. Oh, a friend who's sick. Like, are you well now? I, I sent you meta for, 
you know, five days I was on this retreat, and well, actually it's really three and a half days maybe, if you put that out. I can send you meta. Are you better? Are you, are you well? You're like, there's no magical thinking here. We really do this practice for the cultivation of our own heart. That's why we do this. We do this practice for our own sake. And it's not a prayer e- either. We don't do this practice as a prayer as a pleading, okay, may you be well, may you really be well, I really want you to be well. Like, uh, attachment to outcome, attachment to outcome becomes heavy-handed, becomes painful, becomes exhausting. You're just producing, like, let it be light. You're sharing, you're spreading flower petals, gifts. May you be happy, may you be healthy. You're doing that for yourself. May I be happy, may I be healthy. There's a lightness, we're inclining our hearts towards friendliness and goodwill so that that becomes the natural response. So that when someone, for example, cuts us off on the road, we're driving, we don't become all verklempt, right, with anger, that, that the natural tendency of our hearts would be, oh, okay, wow, all right, surprising, and maybe this person really needs to get somewhere. May you be well. May you be safe. When you cut in front of me, may you be safe. May you not get into an accident, right? That can be the, re- the reaction of our hearts instead of sitting on the horn, making them angry, following them up closely, like, why did you come? Like, just have kindness to them. They're, they're definitely having a hard time, right? Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. Do we want to be the hurt person who hurt, uh, hurts others? Can we heal ourselves with metta, with kindness? Can we heal our own wounds so that we don't go around gnashing our teeth and causing harm in the world? Can we heal ourselves with our own love? And also not going around with neediness. Many of us go around with neediness and basically unsaid in in unspoken ways we are saying love me love me love me approve of me tell me i'm great tell me i'm okay tell me i'm enough so that i feel enough about myself because i don't really feel like i'm okay i just need i need you to tell me that i'm okay you need i need you to tell me i gave a great talk so i don't beat myself up or whatever it is right it's okay it's all right sweetheart you're doing your best and even if you screw up i still love you it's okay we learn from our screw-ups of course we learn and in fact with self-compassion it becomes easier to learn from your mistakes instead of beating yourself up. There's some studies about this. I won't get into the details, but since I brought it up, studies that show that if people are primed to um, have self-compassion, care for themselves, and they're reminded of a mistake or, or a moral transgression that, that they made, they take more responsibility for it. They take more responsibility for the moral transgression, and in what they journals, okay, um, they they take more responsibility and with care. So that makes sense, right? Because if there is no care, if there is no self compassion, there is the psyche is so um, 
could be fragile, but and any blame or any self-blame, it's hard to hold. So people would blame others, right? Because you can't hold your own um, transgression. So if it's not there, people would blame others. It's their fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. I didn't do anything wrong. It's other people's fault. But if there is kindness, if there is enough um, cushion of kindness for yourself, then you there's space to hold your own transgression. Oh, sweetheart, you screwed up. It's okay. I still love you. I still respect you. And you can do better. You see how that works mentally? If you have self-compassion, is that clear? Confusing? If it's confusing, tell me now. Yeah, don't see any confusion. Okay, good. So it's at the outset, it feels a little counterintuitive because you think, wait, Self-compassion feels like I'm going to let myself off the hook, right? That's a fear that a lot of people have about self-compassion, that I'm just going to lie on the couch and eat bonbons all day if I'm self-compassionate, I won't do anything. But it's actually, that's, that's not true self-compassion. That could be um, something else, but it's not self-compassion. It's true, deep, cultivated sense. There's a sense of holding yourself accountable. Yeah, remember, actually, beautifully, um, Diana said the same thing. There's a beautiful way that you hold yourself accountable through self-compassion. It's not self-indulgence, but you have the capacity to hold yourself accountable with kindness. Another aspect of the attitude to have is um, is that cultivation, cultivating metta, kindness, goodwill. It's not Pollyanna-ish. It's not spiritual bypass. It's not just rosy, rosy, it's all good. May I be happy? May you be happy? Yeah. It's not about that. It's something grander. So, so there are difficulties, of course. Everybody has challenges. But as we say, ten thousand sorrows and ten thousand joys. Of course, we all have the joys and sorrows. And as human beings, because of evolution, those ancestors who lived and passed down their genes, those were the ones that were looking out for danger, looking out for what was not right. They were watching out for the saber-toothed tiger. Those were the ones who survived right, and passed down their genes. The ones that were not so tuned to what's negative and difficult, they didn't make it. So guess what genes do we have? We're looking for what's not going right. It is said that our minds are like um, 
Velcro for whatever is not going right. They're like Teflon. Whenever Teflon was popular, it's no longer. But anyways, Teflon for good, positive experiences. They just don't stick. Non-stick pad. Non-BPA non-stick pad. <laughs> for positive, for pleasant, for good experiences. They just, you know... If I tell you, remember the last time someone gave you a compliment, you're like, ah, okay, think about the last time somebody told you something critical. Okay, I've got it, right? That's how how our psyches work. Just like, yeah, just to be human. So, so we already, we lean into, and we all do, of course we do. We're siblings, we're brothers and sisters, we're siblings in all this. We lean into what's hard and what's difficult already. Just do that. So we want to balance it a little bit. We want to balance it a little bit. Because we're already all walking like this towards the what's the what's difficult. Okay, let's balance it a little bit. So that we can contain more joy. We can contain more ease, more happiness, more kindness. So it's not to push the challenges away. It's not about that. And also, it's not healthy to always have our heads in what's difficult and I'm just going to be with this until it kills me, until I fear it out and resolve it. It is wholesome and healthy to take, to expand your capacity. And happiness, metta, the Brahma Viharas, I'll say more about this phrase, Brahma Viharas, they expand our capacity to contain more, to contain more. And Lo and behold, you'll find that. You'll have more capacity to hold what's difficult, actually, to be with what's difficult, because you have expanded your capacity to be with what is good. It's not to exclude the difficult. It's, it's kind of like why we come on retreat, in a way. You know, we take a break from the world. We come on retreat to, to find a foothold, especially if life is challenging and difficult and so much is going on. It's like, okay, let me take a break. Let me just go and find my center, stability, cultivate some stability. Okay, now I'm going to come back out and I can be with it more. I can be with it. I can have appropriate response. We can have kind response. I can have wise response towards what's going on. In a similar way, when we take a break and cultivate more, equanimity as we practice this afternoon together, equanimity, we practice metta, compassion, there's more capacity to be with what is difficult. We can open up to it more. So that we're avoiding it forever and over. Nah, 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 I'm not listening, no. I'm going to take a wholesome break to cultivate my heart in stability. say a few things about the phrases now that I've talked enough about attitude. A few things about the phrases. So the four traditional phrases as we've been offering them, and you're welcome to have variations, of course. The first one having to do with safety. May you be safe, may I be safe. And this is an important one, actually, because we fully well know that no one is completely safe in this world, right? So in some ways it can feel like madness. Why are you wishing safety even though anything can happen at any moment? Don't you, 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 you know, you, you, you Buddhists say everything is impermanent, right? Anything can happen at any moment. So what, like, what's up with that? 
Yes, of course, both. Knowing that. Nothing is guaranteed. There is no ultimate safety in the world. I wish you safety. I give you this gift from my heart. I wish you safety, even though I know the world is not safe. It's okay. I wish myself well. It's, it's the act of wishing. It's the act of giving the gift that trains our heart, turns it towards well-wishing, towards wishing, towards friendliness towards another person. So there is no dichotomy here. There is no problem here. So I wish you well. In the same way, if there is a friend who is not happy or if you're not happy, and if you say, well, may I be happy? Well, I'm not happy right now. How can I be happy? Then you start thinking about all the ways you can be happy. Like, no, it's not a thinking. Right? It's not a thinking practice. Like, may I be happy? You're connecting with the wish. It's ever so light. It's not a problem solving. I wish myself. I wish. May I wish myself? May I have this uplifting aspirate? May I have this wish from my dear self? May I be happy? May I be? Ah, it's an offering. An uplift, it's a gift. No expectations. Similarly with health, if you're not fully healthy, sometimes you can add, may I be healthy as much as possible, or if a friend, I wish you well. I wish it for you. Even if you don't have it, I still wish it for you. I can still wish it. Right? Cultivating my heart, that's why I'm doing this. And also another thing I wanted to say about um, safety. Um, one is that the long phrase, as I shared it, um, gosh, was it yesterday morning? It was like so long ago. Yesterday morning, a month ago. Um, <laughs> may you be safe from inner and outer harm. And if you haven't heard that before, if you're wondering what is the inner harm, uh, the outer army, earthquakes, and you name it. But the inner harm, what's the inner harm? The inner harm is what we cause ourselves. And we cause ourselves plenty of inner harm. We get agitated, we overreact, we get angry, we get upset, we get resentful, like, oh, this churning inside. We have no peace. We, we ruminate. We just go on these catastrophizing trips of the mind. Ah, oh, sweetheart. Inner harm. May I be safe from inner harm? Whew. Letting it be light. May I be safe? Another thing I wanted to say about the safety is... Um, some teachers in the past have, have taught it with ease, may you have ease, or may you be happy, right? Happy being the first phrase, and then safety being the last one. And that's how we used to practice. And then I looked at the, the classic instruction, and I saw safety was first. So I thought, why would safety be first? I explored that for quite a bit in my practice, and also cognitively. And it's so interesting, because really, safety comes first. In you feel safe, your body, your heart can relax, there's a sense of safety. Ah, and then you can receive the wishes for happiness and 
health and needs and safety is the very first and foremost of the requirements for happiness and health. And it also ties in with, with Bowlby's attachment theory for, um, for child development. The sense of safety is paramount for all of us as we grow up. The sense of safety. So as we get older, we can also offer it to ourselves. We can reparent ourselves. May I be safe? Or may I feel safe? May I feel safe? May I feel safe? Another version, so rich, just this phrase is so rich. Another nuance of this, may I be safe for myself? Can I make my, can I be safe for myself? May I be safe for myself? May I be safe for others? Are you safe for others? Are you safe for others? So, so many different ways, just this phrase, if you just stayed with may I be safe, may I feel safe, may I be safe for myself, may I be a safe harbor, may I be a refuge for others. Ooh, that opens up, doesn't it? There's so many dimensions. That one phrase would be enough for a whole retreat. I can bring in the aspects of ethical conduct, etc., etc. May I be a safe harbor? May I be a safe refuge for others? And besides the four phrases, there are also the, there are the simple two phrases. May you be safe, may you be happy. May I be safe, may I be happy, or may I be happy, or may I be well. You can just, as Diana said, you can just choose one. May you be well, may I be well. It's a simplified. You can just go with words, and it's so helpful sometimes. You might have found that yourself, to, to, um, to let the words perhaps be synchronized. It, it sometimes feels like it gets reduced to just one word, say and synchronize with the breath, with the in-breath and out-breath. Happy, healthy, please. Yeah, I think one of you mentioned that, that you had discovered that practice last night on your own, yay. So, and another thing to say also, sometimes it feels like the words are too much and it needs to be wordless. And that's okay too, you can be radiating that time, you can be radiating it. Internally, externally, 360 degrees. Yourself and others, same, same. Not privileging one over the other. Also, if your mother tongue is not English, I strongly recommend you try the phrases in your mother tongue and see uh, what impact it might have on you. It can be transformative. It's been for me. Remember years ago I was practicing and I thought, oh, why if I try them in Farsi and all of a sudden I could feel as if, you know, I these, these pre-verbal memories of being held by my grandma and loved and rocked by her came up. Just so sweet, sense of safety, love, my mom. 
So I invite you to, if, if it works for you, if you want to experiment, you don't have to, try it. And sometimes also it can be, the generating it might feel exhausting, because it's not really yours to generate. It might be helpful to feel like you're sitting in a field of metta. And we brought that in a bit, inviting the first night, if you remember opening night, I invited you to feel you're being held in a field of metta here at IRC. The redwoods, with all the practitioners who've come, who've practiced here, this whole space being filled with metta. And you can just sit in it, receive it, breathe it in. So there are ways, skillful means you can work with it. also can't say enough that yes there you might you have probably already found that there there can be ups and downs in this in this practice there could be times that it's flowing times that tears are flowing it's okay it's perfectly fine there are times that challenging memories might come up maybe it's your dear friend easy being who you've loved and all of a sudden you remember this disagreement you had 20 years ago you haven't thought about it for a long time and it just now comes up all of a sudden it's normal it's normal Diana brought up this this word purification and I actually like the word purification because it's it's associated for me with with this teaching manual, Visuddhimagga, the path of purification, it's the path of letting go, it's the path of we get purified through this practice. Whatever needs to come up and get purified, it will. It's not, you don't have control over it. You do this practice and the unexpected comes up, the resentment comes up, the venom comes up, the tears, the tenderness, the grief comes up, the, or, or beauty comes up. You get purified and you go through these periods of what, what has been turned purity. So purity, purification cycle, purity, purification cycles. And during the purity cycles can feel beautiful and your heart feels expansive. This is great, this is wonderful. And maybe then you get attached, I want this, and I don't want it to end, I want to take it home. How, how do I hang on to this? And you get tight, I want more purity. And gives rise to purification because if you are attached to something, especially these lovely states, you're causing more harm, you're causing suffering, no more harm, you're causing suffering for yourself, so so make sure you don't suffer through attaching to the, to the yummy bits just enjoy, appreciate let them be, let them go let them come, let them go they're like birdies of grace that sit on your shoulder so, so today as we turn towards filling our own cup so we don't go around Telling people, love me, love me, love me, so I feel okay, I feel enough. Filling our own cup so that we don't need anyone else, really. There's a sense of self-care, self-care, deeply self-care. And then we can fill other people's cups because our relationships can be a lot of mature, there can be a lot more maturity in our relationships. They're not, we're not in them 
so that the other person feeds us and feeds our ego, makes us feel okay about ourselves, makes us happy, quote-unquote, we're happy already. We're, there's a sense of confidence and fullness and humility, of course. But if we mature, it can become more mature in relationships that way. There is more metta for ourselves. And then we can have metta for the other person. We can be there more for them. So I promised to say a little bit about the word Brahma-vihara. Brahma-viharas, as we talk about these practices, or in BV in short, if you've never heard that term before. So, so there, Brahma-vihara, Brahma, tr- translates to heavenly, or the gods, the gods. And vihara is abode, or dwelling. So literally, this translates, this, these practices translate to heavenly dwellings, the home of the gods, also known as the four immeasurables. They can feel infinite, infinite. The abodes of Brahma, sublime attitudes, lots of different terms there. They're used for them. And... Um, always wondered, you know, the four immeasurables I could get a sense of, yes, that they can feel really um, sublime and boundless, uh, without boundaries, not boundaried. And maybe I'll just say something about the word boundary. So many things I want to say, I have enough time anyway. I'll come back to that. Um, so... So it started to really make sense for me. Again, this was years ago, time ago. I sat a uh, a one month, a month long um, retreat, uh, and I dedicated the whole month to practicing the Brahma Viharas, the, the four practices of the heart, starting with metta, metta for the being the first one. What we're doing here, and then compassion. Maybe I'll say a little more. Okay, footnote. I'll go back. To I'll go back to that retreat in a moment, keeping on the edge of your seat. Okay, so, so the four Brahma-viharas, the first one being metta, which is the sense of um, basic kindness, friendliness, as we've been talking about. And then the second one, which is related, they're all related, is compassion, karuna. And think of compassion, or karuna, the Pali word, when metta, friendliness, kindness, meets suffering, it gets expressed as compassion. It holds the suffering. The friendliness, the goodwill holds suffering. And it becomes compassion. In other words, um, I've also heard this, um, compassion is the love child of of, uh, metta and suffering. So metta means suffering. So, so that's karuna, compassion. <laughs> the third one, third Brahma-vihara, is vicarious joy or sympathetic joy. So when metta is new, so metta is when this friendliness meets someone who's in a neutral place, neither happy nor unhappy, nor suffering nor in a great place. Maybe well, maybe perhaps kind of a neutral one. So if it meets 
against someone or a being could be yourself in the suffering place it becomes compassion then you'll be free from this pain and you have ease in the midst of the sorrow could be yourself may I, may I hold the suffering with, with ease when this goodwill then meets someone who's in a great space maybe a friend of you is just right now they may not be happy in every way in their life but maybe they just got the job they've wanted for years and you're happy for them you're truly happy for them. So when when goodwill meets good fortune, it gets expressed as mudita, or vicarious joy. You're happy for their happiness, as if it were your own happiness. Yay, I'm happy for you. It lifts up your heart. I'm so happy for you, as if I was the one who found this job I've been looking for for years. Oh, I'm so just uplifted. So that's mudita. And the fourth one is what we practiced earlier today at 145, equanimity, upeka, upeka. Equanimity, equipoise. Some people wonder, wait, belongs with the others? These, these warm-hearted feelings? Yes, it does. Because equanimity is not aloof. It's not like, oh, whatever. They, you know, things are as they are. It actually has warmth, has care about it. Equanimity has a sense of care has a sense of presence. You're present with what is. You're not turning your head around, just leaving the scene. You're present. You're present with, with stability. Stability. In fact, equanimity needs to be present in all the other three Brahmaviharas. Because if it's not present, they will veer into the awful. So the uh, metta will fall into um, attachment. If you don't have a sense of stability, you'll become, I want this, I want this, may you be happy, may I be happy. Right, so it needs a stability. For compassion, if there isn't that stability of may you be well, may I be, may, may I be free from this pain, may you be free, it can fall into sympathetic distress or agony or overwhelm, which is what actually some people call compassion distress. It's not. It's actually empathetic distress. It's when there's no stability actually have the compassion it's like oh it's like somebody say if your friend is suffering they're bobbing up and down in the waves and you jump into the waves with them instead of having compassion with them offering a supportive hand right compassion like let me support you I wish you well I wish you ease from the suffering you're just jumping into the waves with them because you don't have the stability right you don't have the stability of equanimity you're getting into the anguish. You're getting overwhelmed with them if there is no equanimity to support compassion. Does that make sense? So compassion practice needs equanimity as its foundation, as its basis, as its fabric in order not to get, not to become empathic distress. There's more here. There's all of these, there's all Dharma talks about. So, yeah, there's a lot more to say here, but I'll just leave it for now, because there's more, more things, a few other things I want to tell you. Okay, so now I want to come back to the story that I left. So, so speaking of the term, immeasurables and the heavenly abodes, the, the dwelling of the gods. So, years ago, uh, when I was sitting, this was my first, actually, long, um, Metta retreat, Brahma Viharas retreat. I had done a week or ten days 
by a month I hadn't so so um, yeah it, it, I really got at that point why it was called the heavenly heavenly abodes I felt like wow if there's heaven on earth this is it D- doing this practice for a long time is it I was so happy for that whole month I was just really there was so such beauty in in the goodness being able to be with suffering with compassion with happiness of others to be with it with joy with delight with equanimity ah oh, what a beautiful feeling just meta of course of the, the first one there was a sense of wow how amazing to live in this space to be in this space this is heavenly abode this is living in the brahma realm in the godly realm this is as good as it gets um yeah and and it was actually it was during that time that i also i uh it was right after it i can't remember now i dedicated a whole yeah i think it was after it i dedicated a year of my practice to practicing the brahma viharas as my primary practice um not not insight but and it was a lovely year of practicing the brahma viharas and and also to say happy hour has been a joy for me to teach as a part of living and, and, and really um, continuing the connection to that heavenly realm of the heart and supporting others in in uh, in that way it's practices there's so there's so much more so much more um, and also to say maybe also I'll say something because maybe what I said is a bit of a code word but um, just to unpack it a little bit these practices, these Brahma-viharas, these four practices, are also samatha practices, concentration practices. So the heart and mind can get very, very stable, very stable, very concentrated. And states of absorption, known as the jhanas, if you might have heard of them, states of jhanas and absorptions, can arise through these practices and the flavor of the jhanas through these practices are very different from flavor of the jhanas with breath meditation anapanasati or kasinas and colors etc they're very different it's just it's they're lovely jhanas are already quite beautiful and healing and supportive and so so there's quite a depth and to to this practice so um in saying this and sharing this, I'd like to, to inspire us. There is a lot more here. There's a lot more here. There's a lot more goodness and depth and beauty. Not to bring up, it's not my intention to bring covetousness. Ooh, that sounds good. I want that. <laughs> That's not my hope at all. But to how to set, to, um, yeah, plant seeds aspiration not expectation it's not expectation is i want that i want that and it's tight like i want that it's not true whereas aspiration is oh this is what's possible wow this is what's possible this is beautiful for me too the sense of trust me too if i continue to practice with wholeheartedness allowing myself to be purified as as it needs to happen on this path of purification states of purity will arise in their own time. Not my schedule, 
I can circumvent. I can go around it. The purification needs to happen in some time. The purity to arise. And really the the path for for a deepening of the practice is humility. Is humility. Is humility. Confidence and humility. So I have left very little time or maybe I'll just mention these. I think it's important to mention. There's enough time. Yes, there is. So I wanted to also mention um, briefly about the five hindrances. Um, Nivarana in Pali, better translated as coverings or veils. Curious, how many of you have heard of the five hindrances? So show of hands. Okay, great. How many of you have not heard? I want to see your hands. Great. Who haven't heard? Great, wonderful, okay, good, that sense, great. So, usually on the second day of the retreat, the Dharma talk, bring a mention of them, because you tend to come up. If they haven't already come up, some of you have already talked about them in the practice discussions. So, so these five, and I don't love the word hindrances, because it feels like something negative and difficult we have to get rid of, but really, Nivarana, which is covering, they're covering the path. It's a veil. It's a veil that covers the path and it's going to teach us something. It's going to teach us if we learn to work with it, to work with them, to be patient with them, to see what, what they want to teach us, what, what we can learn from them. That's a much better attitude as, oh, hindrance, I want to get rid of it. We're not cultivating aversion here. We're not cultivating aversion here. Okay, so what are the five entrances? First one is sensual desire, just or wanting things to be other than they are right now. Starting to think, oh, well, you know, in Metta I can show up, oh, well, I'm not happy. How can I be happy? I would really like to be happy. When I was on vacation, I was happy. Well, well how about that? It's like, you know, just a kind of desire of these happy thoughts. You're not here anymore, but just desire and consider that a desire that is gratified keeps getting stronger if you keep going off and planning that vacation that's going to make you happy and keep getting more gratification just you're going to keep um, feeding cultivating um, rumination and uh, yeah daydreaming the second one is aversion or ill will, which already talked about. It can come up also as a purification in this process. And guess what is the antidote to ill will? Meta. <laughs> and we're in a meta retreat, so okay, check. Next. All right, so if aversion comes out for yourself or others, you already talked about that. And also maybe another thing I would say is I'll say one more thing about aversion. Um, if it's coming up about someone else, it's helpful to think about a good quality of the other person. And sometimes it's really hard if you're just like angry or upset, like, oh, good qualities. They have none. Please come on, sweetheart. They have something. Okay, they show up on time. 
start start wherever you can find a good just hang in there be patient with yourself I'm sure you can think of good qualities that this person has and that can off soften the heart and bring some balance and also think of common humanity and just like me we'll talk more about that tomorrow the third one is sloth and torpor so sleepiness yay anyone not felt sleepy <laughs> <laughs> It's a common, it's a very common one. So the way to work with that is um, is you can gently, softly open your eyes to bring more energy in and let your eyes be softly gazing downward. Um, and if you're really sleepy, you can open them and gaze outward. And again, you're not looking out. Just oh, It's a soft gaze, unfocused, but just bringing light and letting light come in. If you're still sleepy, stand up. Standing meditation, as Diana talked about. Please stand up. And if you're standing up, you're encouraging other people to stand up, which is great. Maybe I did that also the first day to encourage you. It's okay to stand up. And that can really help with, with sleepiness. Or bring up energy. Go for, go for a faster walk um, to bring up some more energy. And what's actually a beautiful way to work with sleepiness is to become curious about the state of mind. What does it feel like to be sleepy? What's happening in the mind? Oh, hypnagogic state. Oh, this is interesting. What's happening in the body? For me, sleepiness feels like molasses. Just so sweet. It's like I just, the body just wants to savor it and just give in to it. Yeah, okay, sweet. Let there be no resistance. Let there be curiosity. Just curiosity. And you'll find yourself being a great student. Become a good student of... Actually, all of, all of the hindrances, all the nivaranas, but especially with this one, you'll find... You'll learn so much about your consciousness, how the states it can take. And still be aware, even when you're in the hypnagogic state. It's pretty wild. And then... Without resistance, you'll actually fall asleep for a few seconds. And you wake up feeling aware. And that little sleep you'll get will be so refreshing, so much more than if you're like resisting it or resisting it or resisting it or resisting it. So, so uh, you learn so much about your mind. It's so fun. Two more. Uh, fourth one is restlessness and remorse. Restlessness. Um, so these are past and future oriented. Restlessness tends to be future oriented. You're thinking about the future. And remorse is past oriented. So stay in the present. Stay right here. And also helpful to give your mind a wide pasture. I actually brought that into the 145 practice. Um, guided meditation. Remember we made our minds spacious, gave, gave a lot of space for any agitation to just be roam. So that becomes diffuse. Remember I mentioned the gas molecules? Let them be dispersed. Anyone? You're all asleep? It's okay. <laughs> so that it can give a lot of space to uh, restlessness and remorse. And the last one, the last Nivarana is doubt. And uh, Doubt can show up as, um, I can't 
do this? This is not right. This is not the right practice for me. What am I doing here? This is the wrong practice. What? They don't know what they're talking about, these teachers. Like, what's this, this practice? And what's this like, it just can like, be equal opportunity. Doubt, doubt, doubt about yourself, about others, about teachings, teachers. Like, everywhere. It's like equal opportunity. Just doubt, 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 doubt. So it's helpful to just call it, oh, it's doubt. It's doubt. I've heard about this. So when, when it comes up, everything, I have doubt about everything. What am I doing here? It's doubt. It's just doubt. You're not the first human being who's experienced doubt. You're not the last. To notice doubt, see the energy. So doubt often masquerades as wisdom. Mm-hmm. However, yeah, I'm reading for like, oh yeah, oh yeah, there, yeah, I saw that today. Um, so wisdom, however, wisdom actually has a very clean energy. Wisdom has a clean, discerning energy. Feel the energy of it in your body. Doubt has a kind of like, the energy, feel the energy. It just doesn't feel the same as wisdom, the same as discerning. It's kind of like, it's very that. <laughs> Don't put a board on it. You discover it for yourself. Choose the wise energy. So much more to say, but you know, it's good. It's nice to to leave a lot unsaid. So there is more uh, dhamma vichaya. There is dhamma curiosity and interest. Oh, I wonder what she means about that. I want to learn more about that. Great. Great. Let there be curiosity. Seeds of interest. Now, let's just sit together for that. say from inner and outer heart. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you have ease.